This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to be here uh, all hour long, okay, all day long. Uh, Madison Aldworth is going to be joining us. She's going to be talking about what's happening with inflation and the skyrocketing uh, gas prices, but also she's going to be putting in perspective uh, what is exactly Vladimir Putin's fault and what is Joe Biden's fault and how we can fix it, most importantly. Then Lieutenant Colonel Alan West did not get the, the uh, Republican nomination to be the next governor of Texas, but he's got other plans and a vision for his party as well as a way uh, to solve the border issue. We are not forgetting about our southern border. We can do both. So, and of course, I'll take your calls. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Let's be absolutely clear about why prices are high now. They're high for two reasons. One was COVID. And now, second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. Uh, <laughs> are you really going to spin it that way? Oil and gas price hikes, the American economy and a Russian plan to back the green movement in America's unmasked. And President Biden's attempt to label inflation and oil hikes as Putin-induced plot unravels. Number two. We believe that China, in fact, was aware uh, before the invasion took place that uh, Vladimir Putin was planning something. We have communicated to Beijing that we will not stand by and allow any country uh, to compensate Russia for its losses would, from the economic would you, sanctions. Would you... Are you, are you kidding me? The National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan's going to play hardball with China now while trying to lift sanctions and tariffs today? We are pretending China's not sustaining Russia and this war with Ukraine. Seven-hour talks with China yield nothing but insults. It's time to label Iran and China what we know they are, enemies of the free world. Sanction them now. Stop the talks with Iran. Number one. That's what Russians' war against the civilians looked like. Destroyed buildings, destroyed infrastructure. I'm ready to fight. That's why I have weapons. That's why it's my hometown and I want to defend the interests of my citizens, interests of my home, interests of my family. That was uh, the Klitschko brothers. Uh, Vitaly Klitschko is the mayor. His brother is Vladimir. Holding on. That's what Ukraine is doing as Russia has simply tried to, Russians try to simply level city after city, killing civilian after civilian. The good news is more and more they seem to be running low on supplies and soldiers. We'll bring you news from the front lines and the best analysis from the sidelines uh, from people that know best. So I want to, I don't want to take too much time away from Madison. Not only is she looking at uh, the reality, she's a business correspondent. She's also following up on the oligarch freezing of funds. They're doing it all over the U.K. They're also doing it here. She's got a follow-up. So I'll just uh, further define what she'll be updating us with. Because believe it or not, stopping the oligarchs is key. They Most of their money, 50% belongs to Vladimir Putin. And if we can stop the wealth, stop them from flying, start freezing their assets, they're going to have to make a change. There's just no question how they're going to do that. 
Nobody knows. I'm getting optimistic. As much as I see Maripol and the destruction and Kiev and what could be imminent, uh, um, what's happening in the South where there are better soldiers, if you can hold on, Ukraine, Ukrainians, you'll be holding on for all of the West and freedom. There's no question. Just because Ukraine is not the perfect democracy with the perfect elections, they do have a situation where they want to be representative, part of the European Union, en route to being part of NATO, and they need to be. And exposing the horrible Russian system as it is right now, which is the power of an autocracy, not even communism, the power of one man, benefiting one man. Vladimir Zelensky yesterday on what he says was the progress or lack thereof or somewhat glimmer of hope with the fourth round of talks. Cut one. Our delegation also worked on this in negotiations with the Russian party. Pretty good, as I was told. But let's see. They will continue tomorrow. Meanwhile, Zelensky was also talking about the war crimes that are happening. There's just no question. You've seen the video. They're shooting at apartment buildings, trying to blow up civilian buses. They have killed 65 children, 65, Would normally that's a conservative number. That is a U.N. number. It's usually on the conservative side. It's double or triple that, let alone the people that died fleeing. 160 cars were able to leave Maripol yesterday, but they block humanitarian aid. Let's drop them through drones, drop some water, drop some ready-to-eat Meals, these MREs, believe it or not, the Russians are running out. They're raiding different abandoned homes to sustain themselves. So I like the fact that that Zelensky is talking more optimistically now. He will address a joint session of Congress tomorrow virtually. What I also love, too, is Slovakia, the Czech Republic, uh, as well as uh, Poland, are going to be sending their prime ministers into Kiev right now, today, to express solidarity and a message from the European Union, 620 members which voted to put them in. That's how inspiring this guy is. Here's more from Zelensky. Cut three. And I want to tell the Russian soldiers, those who have already entered our land and who are just about to be sent to fight against us, Russian conscripts, listen to me very carefully. Russian officers, you've already understood everything. You will not take anything from Ukraine. You will take lives. There are a lot of you, but your life will also be taken. But why should you die? What for? On behalf of the Ukrainian people, I give you a chance, chance to survive. If you surrender to our forces, we will treat you the way people are supposed to be treated, as people, decently, in a way you were not treated in your army, and in a way your army does not treat us. Choose. You know why he's saying that? Because they're quitting. You know why he's saying that? Because they captured so many who don't want to do this fight. You know why they're saying that? Because even Russia doesn't know for the majority of which, unless they get, uh, I guess, Instagram or have some secret uh, secret messaging system or, or some anchors in the West, they don't know that they're actually at war torturing the Ukrainians uh, in a medieval style, just fighting, destroying everything they can because in many cases they don't have the guts to get outside the vehicle. And when they take a town, they go and try to take a town. They're getting berated by old women, by people that don't want to listen to them. So they've captured two defiant mayors and put their own stooge in its place, but nobody's listening to them. They think they're going to just gut a whole country in this day and age and survive. They can't. A bipartisan group of lawmakers have told President Biden, get those MiG jets right now to President Zelensky. Find a way from Portman to the 58 members of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. 
That heartens me. $40 million of humanitarian aid is fine. How is it going to get to the cities that need it most? That's going to be key because they're going to start bombing different supply chains. Now, I want to go to China and Russia. Let's, there is nobody listening to me right now that does not know that China supports Russia. There's nobody listening to me right now that does not know that they formed an axis of evil. That also includes Iran. Why are we pretending that we could get intimidate China or lure China away from Russia because they fear not being friends with us. Seven hours of talks. I'd love to be inside these talks. Every time I hear Jake Sullivan talk, Ned Price speak, I never feel reassured that they have a backbone between them, nor do they understand the magnitude of this fight. You can't tap into these leaders' sense of being a part of the family of nations. They want to rule over America they despise us because of what we represent and what we've done over the last hundred years. And that's be number one economically and militarily in the world and be a beacon of hope and prosperity and freedom even on our worst day. They hate it because they have no interest in freedom. They have all interest in their prosperity and they just want power. So why do they think in seven hours of talks you can convince China? The only thing they understand and Vladimir Putin understands is strength. Not acquiescence, not an off-ramp. Every time you say what we're not going to do and what we may do if you do this, they look at it as weakness. So listen, yesterday the administration won't answer the question of what they will do if they find out that China is supplying Russia. They would not walk away from the fact that some are saying that China is already supplying Russia. Russia, this is how desperate they are, it seems. They have reached out to China to say, can you give us military, hardware, and MREs? That's how desperate this huge nation is. Of tens of millions of people, they can't feed and arm 150,000 in a neighboring country that is a drive away. It is absolutely pathetic. And don't tell me you feel better hearing Jake Sullivan speak about his relations with, uh, with China. Because I don't. Ned Price, our relations with China and what we may or may not do. I think when I hear him speak, he's trying to convince them to do something as if they are France. And I'll give you an example. Here's Jake Sullivan yesterday. Cut 23. We believe that China, in fact, was aware uh, before the invasion took place that uh, Vladimir Putin was planning something. They may not have understood the full extent of it because okay. uh, it's it's very popular. Okay, please. Do you hear what he just said? We believe that they understood that Vladimir Putin was planning something. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He had him wait till after the Olympics. What he didn't think, I imagine, I won't put, can we use any conjecture, but he didn't think Vladimir Putin's army would struggle so much, especially when they decide to use no rules and put humanitarian causes and needs to the sideline. I mean, they literally are targeting civilian Women and children blowing up apartment buildings, hospitals, and schools, and they still can't win. But are you really trying to tell the American public that you didn't know, that China didn't know, that Russia was going to do this, that they're supporting them, that they have deals uh, behind closed doors that's going to get them to buy the oil and the grain that the West has walked away from? When we come back, the latest on the sanctions on oligarchs, and many of which live here or have properties here. Madison Aldworth with that. And then Colonel Allen West. And then at the in a half hour, I'm taking your call. So line up in the order you you uh, you line up. I'll take you one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. She's on the oligarch beat. She's not an oligarch herself, but she knows it's not a good time to be an oligarch because in Western cities, uh, they've taken their money that they've really scalped from the Russian economy, many of which belong to Vladimir Putin on 50% earnings, and they've bought a bunch of yachts, a bunch of valuable properties, and now uh, they're being frozen in an effort to squeeze Vladimir Putin and Russia out of Ukraine. Madison Allworth all over this. She was with us last week as a correspondent with FBN and telling us about what was happening in New York City. Madison, first off, could you reframe who's got money here from Russia? Absolutely. Hey, Ryan, thanks for having me back again. So we really see so much of the Russian elite that own property in the U.S., particularly in New York. After the fall of the Soviet Union, a lot of the people who were Uh, found themselves with money, quickly parked it in assets, things like high-end luxury buildings, units really in New York City, in Florida. And as we see these sanctions expand to more institutions and more people, even those that aren't yet sanctioned are now starting to fear that they could be. And that is kind of spurring this, uh, this rush to sell their property here in New York City. So where where are they looking now? Totally. So the properties that we've been hearing, um, I've been working with a uh, high-end luxury real estate agent. We're talking about Billionaire's Row. That is, you know, a number of high-end luxury apartments all below Central Park, um, and then some along the side of Central Park as well. These units range in value from $5 million up to really $100 million. Here's the really interesting thing, though. So Dolly Lenz, she's a high-end real estate agent who I've been talking to. She's gotten countless calls, anywhere 30 to 40 calls, from Russian clients who are inquiring about a sale. They want to know, one, how much they could get for it, but more importantly, two, how quickly they can sell. So a lot of these people are prioritizing speed over profit, which is wild when you consider, you know, in the U.S., we are at such a red-hot time in the real estate market. People are able to sell for incredible value, make back a ton of money because of how uh, short the offerings are. There are so few properties on the market, and yet these people are so desperate to sell that if they end up doing it, they'd be willing to take whatever money they can because money in your pocket is better than an asset that's frozen if you get sanctioned. Madison, I know it's a huge commission, but I'm asking real estate agents, got to be a little bit patriotic here and say, sorry, not going to do it, don't you think? Well, yeah. So, um, you know, I've been, like I said, my source for real estate has really been Dolly on this. They are not working with anyone that has been 
sanctioned. They themselves do research. Um, of course, like we know the entire country is not guilty, not every Russian. But yes, I would say you're looking at this and you're concerned. I think even more so than the real estate agent, though, because it's their job. And if you can sell it to a New Yorker or to someone who is going to use the property, maybe there's some benefit in that, especially if it's sold at a discount. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think you could take a, a ton of faults with that. But what I think is really interesting is that people are really excited and interesting to, interested to buy, which to me reads as a slightly less patriotic than what we would expect. You know, our Bill Browder, who I know you've had on your program, um, he's the head of the Magnit, uh, Global Magnitsky, Magnitsky Group, yeah. Justice Campaign. Exactly. When I spoke to him yesterday, he was like, you know, they might want to sell, but no one's going to buy because not only is it unpatriotic at this time, but number two, you'd be worried about buying a property that could end up being entangled in the U.S. justice system. If this person is sanctioned that owns it while the sale is going through, you might have, you know, up to $100 million on the line that then are frozen and unable to be accessed. So he thought, yeah, people will not be selling, but the interesting, or buying, excuse me, the interesting thing is that Dolly says she's getting even more calls from buyers because people want a good deal. That to me <laughs> is a little more unsettling yes. than even the people who are, who are selling. It's these people who are t- kind of taking advantage of the fact that we could get a really good deal. You know, I don't blame them in the sense I myself am looking at um, hopefully buying my first home very soon. It is not a fun time to be buying property right now, but these people who are calling real estate agents to say, hey, can I get 50% off? Can I get 75% off? Um, they know that they're potentially buying from people who are trying to liquidate quickly. Right, and would use that money to, to further the Russian cause because the oligarchs directly right. linked. So I've been watching a lot of the U.K. because most of these people, as you were telling me too, Madison, it's easy to be an oligarch in the U.K., much more friendly banking rules. So a lot of them settled there, bought soccer teams, uh, I think like Wigan as well as Chelsea and maybe West Ham. So these fans just want to play, and these oligarchs came in because they want to be part of Western culture and be so-called indispensable. So a lot of these people are really agonized because they watch their team really go on ice, freeze their roster, freeze their assets. Isn't that interesting, what, they're, what they oh, have done? Yes, it's so interesting. I, um, I follow U.K. soccer a bit, football, if you will, um, and it is a fascinating um, kind of turn of events. There has been uh, very wealthy individuals, both Russia, Saudi Arabia. A lot of these um, high net worth individuals have purchased football clubs in the UK. Um, obviously, Chelsea being one of the ones that's been in the spotlight. Uh, Roman Abramovich, he's been uh, sanctioned and he owns that club there. What they've done with Chelsea, which is an incredibly popular club, is they're not allowed, he's not allowed to sell it, one, obviously, because he's been sanctioned. And two, um, they're not allowed to sell any more tickets. Now, an important distinction is if a fan already has a ticket to an upcoming game, yeah. it should be honored because that sale already happened. But yeah, the, you know, we know that this is kind of what happens when we're when there's that war and there's sanctions. People outside gotcha. of the, these oligarchs are impacted. The good thing, though, and with the story I'm covering today, clearly more people than just oligarchs are impacted because those who aren't even sanctioned are looking to sell. And that means Mad- that some of these sanctions. Don't work. Madison Allworth, thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I negotiated with the Russians, uh, both as a hostage envoy and as national security advisor, and the only thing they understand is strength. And so when we pulled out of the Open Skies Agreement that they were cheating on, when we said we're not going to renew the New START uh, nuclear treaty unless they limit the, the number of nuclear weapons that they're producing every year, uh, when we stopped Nord Stream 2, uh, they understood that we meant business. And unfortunately, when this administration came in and gave them a clean extension of New START with no conditions, when they gave them Nord Stream 2 and got nothing in return, the Russians thought that this was a pattern that they could just get more and more and more. And that's what ultimately led to the situation in Ukraine. Look, uh, that's Robert O'Brien. I think he's as good as a as a national security advisor as it been. And he understood Trump and he understood that he had a lot of power and he won Trump's trust. One of the first things he did was got a lot of our hostages out. And I hope he works on that uh, the NBA, WNBA basketball player over in Russia. They'd be smart in, and working in a nonpartisan way to ask Robert O'Brien to do that. I'm not sure he would, uh, knowing him. He's such a patriot, he would. But that's basically the way anyone who looks at Vladimir Putin seriously comes up with that conclusion. That's how you deal with him. Anytime you say, give him an off-ram, meet him halfway, don't be provocative, he doesn't care. It's weakness to him. When are you going to understand the mindset of somebody who doesn't think like you? I'll give you an example. Remember when we had that problem with Macron and France, and they said that we came in and we gave them better subs than they've had. We blew up two of their contracts to get these nuclear subs because we had better subs and Australia went with us. We didn't communicate that to France, so they did, they uh, basically sent our diplomats home and they were upset with us. They didn't want to talk to Biden for a couple of days. But then we went and met face-to-face, and at the next G8 summit or EU, whatever it was, they, made, they dealt with it. And Macron had his say, and they got over it. That's how you deal with a Western leader. But it's not how you deal with China, not how you deal with Iran, not how you deal with Saudi Arabia. It's certainly not how you deal with this guy. So that's what Rob Portman sees. And I bring up Robert O'Brien for a reason. He's not a firebrand. And Rob Portman for another reason, not a firebrand. Moderate by definition, former Bush guy, never hated Trump, but understood that Trump wasn't perfect. Kind of a perfect strategy, almost like the Youngkin strategy. So when, when Rob Portman has got Democrats working with him and it sees a desperation in the Ukrainians' eyes and the reality of the suffering they're going through for no reason, this is what he said, cut 12. So I don't understand why we're not doing it. We initially gave it a green light. Uh, as you know, last weekend, uh, the Secretary of State said it was going to get a green light. And uh, for some reason now we're well, blocking it. Vladimir Putin and the Russians uh, yeah. seem to be... Uh, saying everything is escalatory, and yet they are escalating every single day by coming into Ukraine with these weapons. Uh, There's discussion, as you know, of them using vacuum bombs and cluster bombs, cluster bombs against civilian targets. Uh, This is an illegal, this is a uh, brutal, uh, totally um, unprovoked attack, and increasingly they're, they're choosing civilian targets. So as they escalate, What the Ukrainian people are asking for is just the ability to defend themselves, give them the ability to try to stop some of this Russian superiority in terms Mm -hmm. of air power to be able to save lives and hopefully end up with a peaceful solution to this. If we don't figure out a way to help Ukraine push back, that's much less likely. Right. And let's join bringing Colonel Alan West. Colonel, you don't want to see a world war, but I also think the way we're handling things now, worried about everything that Vladimir Putin might think of what we're doing is the wrong approach with this guy. Don't you? 
Well, absolutely so. It's good to be with you, Brian. And first and foremost, if you read The Art of War by Sun Tzu, you should never let your enemy know what you're not willing to do. And that's exactly what we're telegraphing to Vladimir Putin. First and foremost, Vladimir Putin is in, uh, has b- violated the Budapest Memorandum, that agreement from 1994, that talked about if Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine gave up their nuclear weapons as part of the nonproliferation uh, treaty, that the uh, powers of America, Great Britain and Russia could not attack any of them. And so he's in violation of that agreement, that treaty. So that's the first thing that we should be looking at. And furthermore, these are war crimes that are being conducted. When you're talking about cluster bomb munitions, which is something that we don't use anymore in in, uh, our artillery, uh, you should not be firing that against uh, civilian targets. So the world is sitting back and allowing Vladimir Putin to dictate the narrative here when he has been the complete aggressor. And he is the one that's talking about bringing in foreign fighters, uh, recruiting people from Syria, and of course, China is backing them uh, economically as well. Well, no, no, I think you're wrong, because China says um, uh, we are not doing that. We are not backing Russia. So I guess I'm just going to take them at their word. Uh, I don't think we should take Xi Jinping at his word for anything. And, you know, you already have uh, China talking about buying Russian oil. You already have China that is talking about financially uh, supporting them. And Xi Jinping has uh, come out right before the Winter Olympics and had that meeting with Vladimir Putin. And if you think that they did not discuss Putin's intentions with Ukraine, then I got some great farmland to sell uh, in South Florida to you. So what, why do we, what, what do we keep getting wrong with them? I mean, I don't understand how naive we are. We spoke to them for seven hours yesterday, and they had blistering comments on our conversation, essentially accusing us of starting this whole thing, saying this is no longer our time. They look at Europe, uh, Europe and uh, America as tired powers. But yet, in the reality, I never remember NATO more unified ever. They're doing cold weather exercises with non-NATO members right now. Finland, I believe, is taking part in this in Norway as they're going through different training. They put more troops in the area. Uh, Now today, three prime ministers, Slovakia, Czech Republic, and Poland, are going to Kiev to meet with President Zelensky. So in one way, China really is not getting what they want, correct? No, they're not. And I think that Putin is not getting what he wanted because uh, I think he really believed that this would be, you know, if I could use the terms from uh, 1930s, a blitzkrieg war where he would completely overrun Ukraine, much the same as Hitler did with Poland. And that has not been the case. You see a sturdy resistance being brought forth, and you see a little bit of resolve coming out of the European NATO countries. But I think that the United States has to continue to help with the pressure, with shipping more oil and natural gas over to Eastern Europe and to Europe overall so that they don't have to have that dependency upon Russia. And we need to, you know, everyone talks about we don't want to get embroiled in a fight in a world war. We don't want our troops going. The Ukrainians aren't asking for our troops. They're just asking for the ability to be able to defend themselves. So what would you do, Colonel, if I, if I put you in charge, the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO or uh, National Security Advisor with the White House, what would you do? Even though I know your gut would be to go and take Putin out, that's not reality. No, my gut would be, first of all, to use those economic means and especially the oil and natural gas him and uh, devalue his economy. I would look at how we can get uh, the right weapons. 
armament to the Ukrainians to be able to defend themselves, uh, and that means uh, aircraft as well as ground systems to include those surface-to-air uh, missile systems and also the anti-tank missile systems. Time matters because they're starting to target supply lines, and they're starting to hit the north for the first time. So we got to get those S-300s in there right away. Now, I was talking to Lieutenant General today, and I've read this in other places. The Russians are running out of equipment, and they're running out of food. I mean, MREs, they're actually asking other people for it. And they seem to be running out of troops because you have them asking and telling Belarus to fight for them, beg Kazakhstan, they said no. And now they're asking for Syrian troops and maybe Hezbollah to show up and do some urban fighting. So he said 10 days are going to be key. If Zelensky can hold out for 10 days, you're going to see them start to wither. What do you think? Well, I think absolutely so. And uh, we have seen a revelation, much the same as in uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, when we were told that the T-72 tank was venerable and we found out that it wasn't. Uh, the Russian army does not have a good, strong supply chain and supply system, and we need to make sure that we isolate that. And that's an incredible weakness and vulnerability. And I believe that the Ukrainian ground forces will do everything they can to exacerbate that problem with the supply chain and, ch- and attack their logistical. Uh, systems and trail uh, to isolate those troops even further. So I think that we have a great window of opportunity to be able to uh, draw Vladimir Putin to a close and make him have to do a, a shameful retreat out of Ukraine. I would hope so. So, Colonel, there's another school of thought to make Vladimir Putin think about us. Where are their assets around the world? There are troops in Syria. Why are we not having uh, the Kurds shell those troops in Syria? Maybe Syrians have to think twice about letting some of their units go. In Africa, they got a presence there. The French are all over Africa. Why can't the French let some people directly or indirectly know, uh, let the Russians know that there's some problems there? I mean, are there some port of interest that they might be vulnerable on? Can we let them know that they can't just focus on the Ukraine? Well, I will tell you that that's one of the things, make them fight a multi-front uh, you know, battle and strategy, and that's how you further bleed their resources. And let's uh, remember that during the Trump administration, when they did uh, bomb that uh, Syrian airfield with Tomahawk land attack missiles, uh, there were several hundred Russian troops that were uh, killed there. You didn't see any uh, retribution or anything from Putin because he only understands strong language, and strong language means strong actions, and that's what we need to be doing, and that's what we need to show him. But unfortunately, we're not getting that from this administration. By the way, that was the Wagner Group or Wagner Group, depending on what part of the world you're from, and they were so-called uh, independent actors. We know they're financed, and they have million-dollar life insurance policies for their family members. They have to keep their mouth shut if they die. So we kill between 200 and 300, the snap of a finger, Trump did, uh, on Mattis's, uh, Mattis's request. They wipe him out, and not a word is said, but a message is sent there. We have to send messages. Now, I, we live in a world, a Western world that's civilized, but we're dealing with somebody that's not. And I just believe, and you tell me if I'm overstepping it, this is such a pivotal moment for us. We could actually kneecap this belligerent power right now, continue to expose them, make sure they pull out of all their occupied areas, and let them know there's going to be a fortification in Georgia, fortification of NATO, there's going to be a reexamination of Georgia, and they, they are gummed up in the Ukraine right now. So if we could no, stop them here, this is bigger than just the Ukraine. 
No, you're absolutely right. And the other thing is that you undermine Putin's power and strength at home. Yes. Because you're seeing his unrest there with protests and what have you. And uh, you can break his yoke of control there at home as well. So this has multi-level, not just tactical level, operational level, but strategic level uh, decision points that I think we should look at. And it also sends a message to China and would send a message to Iran as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, we know how we left Afghanistan. If you want to begin to change the narrative, start getting some decisive equipment in there and let uh, Zelensky know. I think he's going to try to do his best to be respectful tomorrow, but at the same time, he's a very good communicator. When he addressed the Joint Suffering in Congress, specifically ask, say there's no excuse now, talk about how the MiGs would benefit, how dare you tell me what will benefit me and not benefit me, get him in here, because... If you let us go down, so will it. There goes Moldova. Obviously, Belarus is lost. Kazakhstan's in the sphere of influence. Don't be surprised if they take the rest of Georgia. And then they're, gonna, uh, they're going to make up for all their mistakes and their lapses with China's money to build up their armed forces again, if they're allowed to survive this. Final thought, Colonel? Well, think about the incredible optics of tomorrow when – Here you have President Zelensky uh, in a battle-torn country addressing a bunch of suit-wearing people in our joint uh, session of Congress sitting in the the Capitol, nice and safe and warm and comfortable. So uh, that's an incredible juxtaposition of an optic, uh, and it will be interesting to see how he challenges our uh, elected leadership to stand up in this moment. Uh, Go get him, Colonel. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. God bless. Take All right, uh, you got it, 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to come back. I'm going to take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Also, go to Fox Nation, brand-new episode of something you've uh, I've never really done before, but I loved it. I went to the basement of a sophisticated elite restaurant with uh, two former mob members and uh, two great journalists, one writer, one uh, um, author, one journalist, who wrote about the mob for years, 50 years since The Godfather was released. It's the latest episode of Wise Guys. So go to Fox Nation right now. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's trying to internationalize this as best he can. He's He wanted to get the Belarus uh, military involved, but they don't have much. they got six brigades, and they're lower performers than what we've been seeing the Russians do. Now he's gone to the Syrians. He's asked Assad for some of his Syrian militia, which Assad has said yes to, and also an organization called the Fifth Corps, which they put together... These are Syrian rebels who converted to support Assad versus rebel against Assad. It's an act of desperation. There's no way that whether they have 10,000 of them or 20,000 of them, this is going to be decisive. So don't think they're 20 feet tall. 
they do need help. That show, that's a bad thing for the Russian assets. And also know that when the Syrians come to town, just because they have experience fighting in the city doesn't mean they're good at it. Let's go out to Gary, listening to Daytona Beach, Florida, WNDB. Hey, good morning, Brian. Just two comments, and I'd like to get your take on it. Number one, every time we have Jake Sullivan or Blinken meet with people, all we ever hear from Basaki or from them is they've come up with an extremely stern letter, <laughs> or and, and they'll say extremely stern, or they'll mention sanctions. That's one thing. And the other thing is I'm really tired. Every time Biden gets in front of a microphone live, whether addressing the nation or a fundraiser, he always mentions uh, what his father taught him about the dinner table oh, little, with little Joey. And that he mentioned yesterday about how he understands gas prices, the increases our kitchen table. And I took a look at the uh, gas prices between 1944 and 1949. And they went up five cents a gallon from 21 cents a gallon to 26. So I think that we're being set aligned that his dad had a conversation about gas prices at the kitchen table. Uh, I listen. I don't believe anything except the corn pop story. It's too crazy, and that kids liked. Uh, he liked to have little children raise up the 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 hair on his legs, which is one of the creepiest descriptive stories. It would have destroyed any other candidacy. For some reason, it didn't destroy his. Uh, I remember uh, Heidi Heitkamp came out and said that it's our own fault for getting too used to artificially low gas prices. Really, it's our fault for having gas prices low. Do you know what they are in Kuwait? Maybe 25 cents. You know why? Because they produce their own oil. And it's almost zero transportation costs. Don, listen to Montreal, Canada. Hey, Don. Uh, yes, thanks for the show. We really need accurate information these days. It's going on. It's unreal. Uh, I would like to hear from Bernie Sanders. He's very, very quiet on this. Uh, does he think a con- uh, conquered Ukraine will give student forgive student debt <laughs> and offer free university? And also, I'd like to uh, figure out what General Patton and General Curtis LeMay would do in this situation. Well, I know what they'd want to do. They would go for complete and total victory. Patton famously said, let's not stop here. Let's go into the Soviet Union or we're going to have a we're going to have a problem for the next hundred years. He was right. It was about 50. Uh, And then he also MacArthur said uh, this whole problem with Korea, it's not going to stop until we handle red China. So let's go bomb them. And Truman fired him. So sometimes the generals are a little aggressive. And then we got this generation of generals who sit back and want to teach at a war college whose instincts are terrible, who are more politically minded than military minded. And that is General Milley uh, in particular. I could not be more disappointed for the lack of imagination from our military. And Secretary Austin seemed like an, an empty suit and an empty uniform. What a disappointment there. Could have been a real leader. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. You could have any of my past books to put our past in perspective, including the president and freedom fighter. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. You can always watch us on Fox Nation and listen on BrianKilmeadeShow.com or any uh, any place that you get uh, your podcast. But we are, at this moment, coming to you from New York. 
uh, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, standing by is Mike Rogers, former FBI guy and congressman. He's going to be joining us. He's also chair of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Uh, I want to know some creative ways in which we can help Ukraine more because I think it matters more than anyone understands. And John Odrasik will be with us. Why? John is the lead singer and songwriter for Five for Fighting. He put a song together uh, for Zelensky to help raise money for those refugees. It is fantastic. You'll hear it likely for the first time here. We played it on Fox and Friends. And you'll see this guy really has uh, captured, um, I, I think he really defines leadership, someone who, who's met the moment. And we haven't seen this in a while. Also, special thanks to WMAY FM 92.7 in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, of course, WMAY is uh, is Springfield's news and talk, and they're now part of our family of affiliates, and we truly appreciate that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Let's be absolutely clear about why prices are high now. They're high for two reasons. One was COVID. And now, second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. Yeah, um, let me see. If you can't blame Trump anymore, and you're the one who stopped our drilling on natural gas, we're off about a million barrels a day, why not blame Vladimir Putin? He's everybody else's enemy. Oil and gas price hikes, the American economy, and a Russian plan to back the green movement in America is unmasked, and President Biden's attempt to label inflation and oil hikes a Putin-induced plot kind of unravels. Number two. We believe that China, in fact, was aware uh, before the invasion took place that uh, Vladimir Putin was planning something. We have communicated to Beijing that we will not stand by and allow any country uh, to compensate Russia for its losses from the economic sanctions. You think China's helping Russia? Can you just hold it a second? I got to jot that down. I had never heard that before. Why are we pretending China is not sustaining Russia in their war with Ukraine? Seven hours of talks with China yielding nothing but insults. It's time to label Iran and China what we now know they are, enemies of the free world. Sanction them now. Stop talks with Iran. Number one. That's what Russians' war against the civilians looked like. Destroyed buildings, destroyed infrastructure. I'm ready to fight. That's why I have weapons. That's why it's my hometown and I want to defend the interests of my citizens, interests of my home, interests of my family. There you go. Uh, Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko holding on. That's what Ukraine is doing as Russians simply try to level a city after city, killing civilians after civilian. 65 kids at least have died because they're bombing hospitals and apartment buildings. The good news is it seems more and more uh, true that they are running low on supplies and soldiers. We bring in the news from the front lines and the best analysis from the sidelines. Mike Rogers joins us now. Not only did he serve in the Army, uh, he served in the FBI and in Congress. Mike, welcome. Brian, it's good to be back. It's been a while. Man, we need your expertise now. we got to get creative when it comes to aiding Ukraine. we got a country united in supporting them. Virtually everybody. We got a world united, 141 countries. How can we do more? Well, we need to throw everything but the kitchen sink uh, at the Ukrainians uh, militarily wise, meaning there are still surface to air missile systems that they should have. Uh, they should have had the airplanes. Uh, by the way, the, the Western bombings, they, they believe, were, were Russian bombers, right? So it wasn't missiles fired from the ground, it likely came from bombers. And guess what? Airplanes help with that. Uh, and so we Wait a second, Mike, I, that's kind of new. You do not think these were long-range missiles that bombed the northwest corner of Ukraine? You believe there were bombers? 
the the speculation is let me be very clear the speculation is that they were long range bombers that uh, fired fired missiles off of those bombers that ended up hitting into the west of Ukraine <clears throat> which i argue, again why i argue having russian made migs flown by ukrainian pilots would be a great idea and nothing else it, for those who served in the military and, and you're pretty close to it all having a having those fighters flying overhead knowing that they're yours is such a psychological boost it's really really important uh but it's, here's the problem we've we've taken too long though you know some of the you know closest to the fight nato countries have said hey i here's what i got you can have it uh, the U.S. kind of intervening, goes slow, doesn't quite make a decision, says we'll get around to it. In the meantime, people are getting slaughtered, and the noose is tightening. And I know we're getting a lot of news, Brian, that says, hey, the, the Ukrainians are doing well, and they are, and they're fighting heroically. Uh, the problem is Russia's just going to grind them down and grind them down. And as you said in your, your monologue, these cities are getting devastated. They are actually getting pummeled with both artillery and missiles, and they don't care. I'm not sure that they, the Russians targeted a hospital, but they don't care if they hit a hospital. And there's, that, that's almost the same thing. They want that chaos. They want citizens fleeing. They want people just absolutely scared and hungry without heat uh, and so that they can get this thing grind to a halt. And so if this thing goes long, Guess what? It's just going to have a human catastrophe here. And, and of course, now you have all the refugees and all the health care issues that's going with that. I mean, this is so disruptive. So I would give them everything that they're asking for. Uh, probably not going to have NATO or U.S. troops in Ukraine. And I would argue that's that's the right decision. But if you're going to make that decision, then let them defend themselves with the latest technology and the only way you're going to get Putin's attention is by really ramping up attacks on his supply lines and other things. They can't really – right now they're in defense mode and doing these uh, small counterinsurgency type uh, attacks, which have been really, really effective against the Ukrainians against the Russians. Now let's give them some weapon systems to really put some hurt on them. So a couple of things. Obviously, there's only so many people you can you can kill so many people if you just want to level a city and you have no ethics in war and there should be ethics in war. I guess that's gone by the boards. It's medieval what they're doing. They feel even though the world is watching, they don't care. When you assess your enemy, shouldn't we have a better assessment of our enemy? We keep providing uh, talking about off ramps for Vladimir Putin. Ways in which we want to talk to Vladimir Putin. I thought Robert O'Brien, who's dealt with him number one, uh, uh, face, uh, face-to-face, said this. I think he nailed it. Cut 13. I negotiated with the Russians, uh, both as a hostage envoy and as national security advisor, and the only thing they understand is strength. And so when we pulled out of the Open Skies Agreement that they were cheating on, when we said we're not going to renew the New START uh, nuclear treaty unless they limit the, the number of nuclear weapons that they're producing every year, uh, when we stopped Nord Stream 2, uh, they understood that we meant business. And unfortunately, when this administration came in and gave them a clean extension of New START with no conditions, when they gave them Nord Stream 2 and got nothing in return, the Russians thought that this was a pattern that they could just get more and more and more. And that's what ultimately led to the situation in Ukraine. Do you challenge that school of thought? No, I don't. I don't disagree. And let me, let me add a little more to that. So when when uh, Putin had really good success. He confounded the United States uh, in Syria for years, uh, leading up to the Iranian nuclear deal, which he uh, was was a malign actor in those negotiations. 
this was under the Obama administration, uh, when he went into the country of Georgia and he still took it. Remember, he told the world, I'm just I'm not staying long. We just we have some rabble rousers. Well, he's still there uh, in the world. Nothing. No consequences. Nobody was pushing back. Uh, and that was uh, in 2008, roughly. Uh, when he took Crimea, people kind of yawned, and, and not a lot happened under that again under the Obama administration. And so all of these triggers kept saying, "Hey, it's working." And what's working for me, by the way, is being strong man with a strong military, and, and where he is successful. I mean, his big military is getting ground down with these small unit tactics and, and special forces and covert actions and cyber warfare have been really very effective for him. And he hasn't felt any consequence really uh, for it uh, until now. And that allows that, you know, you have to think about what he's thinking. He's been given the speech about Ukraine being a part of Russia for, for since he has been in office in uh, that speech. If you really want to get in Putin's head, re- read the English version of the speech that he gave to his Duma, his Congress, the, the night before or a couple of days before the invasion. Uh, and it'll tell you where he's at. He passionately believes it. And so he's starting to think, oh, gosh, I'm winning here. I'm winning on that. Remember when we arbitrarily pulled out the four deployed uh, missile radars in the Czech Republic and, and Poland. That was, again, under the Obama administration. Didn't tell anybody, just pulled them out. All of those things he puts into his calculus about, okay, I don't think people are going to do all that much. And therefore, now we're into this quagmire of a very bloody conflict. Uh, and I do think we have to make it so painful that he has to come to the table the only people we we should we in the in the West should not be so willing to sacrifice Ukrainian lives if if they believe there's a point where they they need to sit down and talk we ought to support them in doing that. I agree with that, but from our perspective, if they want to keep fighting, they're fighting to me, Mike Rogers, for so much more. If you could stop oh, yeah. and humiliate them, if you could let people know that the Russians can be confronted militarily, they're not anything we thought they were. And if we could watch thousands of Russian soldiers meet their death despite uh, superior armament and being located so close to the Russian border. Can you imagine if they had to fight a war far away like we did, thousands of miles away? I mean, if we can continue to bleed them dry, and what one general told me, the bleeding ulcer that actually brought down Napoleon that the U.K. put on him, if we could do the same to this Russian army— don't you think this world is a dramatically better place? Oh, no doubt about it. And remember, these people are not fighting for you know power positions on a big global board. They're fighting for a for their lives, b for their country, and and more importantly, and they'll say it, their freedom. These Ukrainians are fighting for freedom. And you know, so many I think in our country and in the West just take it for granted. It's always going to be this way. Uh, and, you know, those of us in the national security space keep ringing the bell every once in a while saying, hey, we've got to pay attention to this stuff. This is why. And these people are willing to sacrifice everything. I mean, imagine kissing your wife and kids goodbye uh, and you pick up a, a, a rifle. You haven't really been trained that much, but you're so committed. You're going to take out those who are invading your country. You're going to stand up to the death in, in many cases to this because your freedom is important. Your kid's future is important. Right. And it's happening right before our eyes. I mean, these are the Russians trying to snuff out the light of liberty right in front of us. Uh, And we need to be doing everything that we can to cause pain in there, including giving them as technically advanced weapons as we can. Yeah, right. Besides the MiG-29s, we should be doing other things without announcing them. I'm talking to Mike Rogers. 
Yeah. We should, you're, you're, Brian, it drives me crazy. We keep saying, well, we're going to bring all this I stuff know. through Poland and put it over. Well, no, guess what? That's why they attacked in the western uh, part. It wasn't to it wasn't to challenge the NATO. It was to say, listen, if you want to stack up materials along the border, I'm going to try to shoot at, shoot at them. That's exactly what happened. It wasn't all that complicated. And so we should shut up about it. We should say, listen, we're going to do all we can. Zelensky ought to give us the thumbs up. Hey, it's coming. Uh, and then get to the fight. And that, not tell him how it's coming in, where it's coming from. We shouldn't do any of that anymore. He's using that to his advantage. We should do everything not to help Putin uh, in this conflict. Uh, I'm not going to use this in a very sophisticated term because I'm not in cyber technology or cyber surveillance. But evidently, the Russians are using the Ukrainian uh, phone system, cell system, to communicate. That is why they were able to find out how bad the morale is and why so many people believe on the Ukrainian side, even though they're taking heavy losses, that they can win. And if that is, in fact, the case, doesn't this statement translated from President Zelensky, he's speaking in Russian now. This is what he said yesterday. Cut three. And I want to tell the Russian soldiers, those who have already entered our land and who are just about to be sent to fight against us, Russian conscripts, listen to me very carefully. Russian officers, you've already understood everything. You will not take anything from Ukraine. You will take lives. There are a lot of you, but your life will also be taken. But why should you die? What for? On behalf of the Ukrainian people, I give you a chance, chance to survive. So I think it's brilliant. He's listening to this. We're reading their mail. And because they were able to travel without secure lines, they, they, they actually moved into country without secure lines. The Ukrainians are hearing everything. And isn't that genius to continue to talk Russian to them? Completely. Oh, absolutely. This is all about psychological warfare. And, and the Russians do the same. They have their capabilities. They can do these information operations, we call them, uh, to try to you – know, their, their thing is let's wreak havoc and fear. Uh, and Zelensky is basically trying to communicate to these soldiers that, hey – Guess what? Uh, I know you're a conscript, which means that they were pressed into service. We don't have that in the United States, though. None of these guys are volunteers. They're conscripted into service. And by the way, they've always had the notorious reputation of just not being very good, right, because they don't want to be in the military. They do it because they have to. They're not excited about it. And so this is an opportunity to get some weakness in their command and control inside the country and to get these soldiers questioning, do I really want to how fight, how hard do I want to fight in this thing? All of that is really smart. Uh, and it will eventually go back. The only caution I have, because I hear a lot of euphoria about all of these things, and they're great. All of them are great. We should continue to do it. And maybe it happens. But Remember, we thought Castro was going to go away in six months, and we we thought in Iran the Ayatollah regimes were going to collapse. Uh, you know, that was 30 years ago. Uh, it, when you own the apparatus of government the way Putin does, it's really hard to get him out. And I would argue, be cautious. Remember Assad? We thought Assad was done. We were, you know, they had all kinds of military action on Assad, uh, and they brought in foreign fighters, by the way, to help them, including Russians. Yeah, Mike, I'm not naive enough to think that I know any way, anybody that has a conceivable plan to get him out, but I want him significantly weakened and diminished on the world stage. Oh, absolutely. That's what I hope it happens. Who knows? Maybe somebody gets courage, you know, Brian, and walks in and does the right thing for the world. But I just don't think we can count on that. I think we have to, that would be, you know, that's like Christmas morning if that happens. Right now, we've got to do all the hard 
constant work, the, the information right. operations, keep talking to the Russian conscripts, sending really sophisticated high-end military equipment, right. sanction him so that there is nothing left of his economy. I mean, back him into a corner, uh, and that's how we're gotcha. going to Gotcha. Mike Rogers, I'll have that. to end it there. But, man, I wish they would hire you. I'd feel a lot better. Back in a moment with your calls. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It is one of the highest honors of any any Congress to welcome remarks by foreign heads of state. But it is nearly nearly unheard of in modern times that we hear for a leader fighting for his life. That we hear from a leader fighting for his life, fighting for his country's survival, fighting to preserve the very idea of democracy. President Zelensky can rest assured that he will always have friends in Congress ready to listen, to stand in his corner. And we're honored to have him speak to us later this week. So two weeks ago, Zelensky addressed a joint session of Congress, excuse me, uh, about 100 members of Congress, maybe more, on a Saturday, informally. Then he addressed a, uh, the, U- uh, the U.K.'s parliament, which they say was unprecedented. Now he's going to do virtually a joint session of Congress, not because of the pandemic, because he's at war and might not be able to leave. That is, I cannot wait for that. We're going to be in and out of that. It's going to be happening during our show. So we'll be able to pull some clips. I just know he's not going to waste this effort. Thank the West for what they're doing. Thank the U.S. for what we've done. But he's got to lean in and tell us what we have to do if he wants to survive and why this is more than about Ukraine. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Because everyone's thinking, can one man save the world in a thousand years? Will they say your name, or is this all in vain? Can one man save the world? Will you Wow, that is, uh, John... Uh, oh, Drassic. Uh, he's a singer and songwriter for the Five for Fighting. Uh, he has just written that song, Can One Man Save the World? And you know what it's for? President Zelensky. And if you listen to the words, which uh, you can get on my Twitter feed, his Twitter feed, uh, I'm sure on other social media, it's now we debuted it, I believe debuted it, on uh, national television, on Fox and Friends at about 845. You want to go back? Uh, but right now, joining us is the, the singer-songwriter himself. John, welcome. Hey, Brian, nice to talk to you again. So, so John, what was the impetus to write this? What was it about Zelensky where you said, I need, I need to write about this guy? You know, I think, you know, of course, just watching him and, and uh, it, it started when he turned down our plane ticket. <laughs> you know, I think as soon as, as we said, here, you know, here's your solution, here's your plane ticket, we'll get you out. And he said, I'm not interested. Uh, give me some MiGs, give me some, some Stingers. I think we all saw that this was a different cat, and the whole dynamic changed very quickly. And then seeing his eloquence, not just him, but his wife, the Ukrainian people, uh, I think you can't help but be inspired. But, you know, you said something to me this morning uh, on, on Fox and Friends, your question, when you said, 
you know, is this more than Ukraine? And I've been thinking about that for the last hour. And I think you're right. I think we've been longing to have somebody to remind us who we are as people who love freedom and democracy, willing to die for freedom. And and uh, I think so many of us look at him and, and kind of find this savior of, of our values. So for me, maybe that was an impetus for the song all along. No question. And I think it's also at home. It made us figure, you know, we're fighting amongst each other about the right to put somebody that we want into office at the mayor, governor, uh, senator, president. Okay, we have a choice. We want to make the economy easier because we want to be successful. We want to have the opportunity to be successful. We have different ways of approaching it. Can you imagine not having a way to approach it? Can you imagine being led by a brutal dictator? who wants to put his oppressive views on you and stop you from ever reaching your goals, your uh, personal and professional goals. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to re-suffocate Eastern Europe, and he's trying to put fear in Central and South America, and he's got a partner much more powerful than China. And if you let him do that, cut up Ukraine, then you might as well be giving him a green light to every other Eastern European nation, and slowly but surely, 10 years from now, they'll move on NATO. Of course, or he'll move sooner. I mean, we certainly haven't given him any reason not to. And you're right. I think it's a big wake-up call. You know, we've had our, hand, our heads buried in the sand, you know, for 20 years, Syria, Crimea, Hong Kong. Nobody said a thing about Hong Kong. And I think you're right. It, it reminds us that these, these petty fights that we have um, seem so trivial now. Uh, you know, our, our way of life, our democracy allows us to have these petty fights. But I think it's, you know, we've been wallowing in self-hatred for a decade now, the woke culture, just how evil is America. And then all of a sudden you see the real world and you see real evil. And I think hopefully it'll give us some perspective. And as you said, like, you know, stand up for values, stand for the right things. And then, you know, we'll have the luxury of having our little squabbles on Twitter. And, he, you know, there's a, there's a report out now that, you know, Russia is running out of supplies, running out of soldiers. They're running out of food. They're running out of yeah. fuel. And there was a report today. I, I didn't put it on the air, but Mike Gallagher is going to get confirmation on it, the congressman and former Marine, that there's a certain lubricant thing they need in their tanks and, and planes that only made in America. And they're yeah. running out of it. And they're not going to get it. So the Good. word is hold out for 10 days. And if you want to hold yeah. out for 10 days – Zelensky's the guy to motivate you, correct? He's motivating me. He's motivating the world. He's pulling, you know, look, I think our our strategy and Europe's strategy was to manage the fall of Ukraine. And I think, think we're still trying to figure out uh, how, how to adjust to the fact that this guy ain't going down. Um, so you're right. I think every day he survives, it gives us more hope. On the other hand, I said this on the program this morning. Every morning I wake up hoping he hasn't been assassinated and that every speech is in his last speech. Um, I think watching him do this, knowing that he's being hunted, um, is something I've never seen before. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen anybody in my lifetime that uh, I'm, you know, I'm a little too young for Churchill, but that, that has had this fortitude and does it in such a, a cavalier, um, humble way. John, and I'm talking to John Andrasik, who's writing a great book. You've got to download. You're going to hear some of it at the end of the segment called Can One Man Save the World about Zelensky, and it's not an overstatement. So keep in mind, too, whatever Churchill was doing, he was in a suit walking around in London. He could yeah. probably hear the bomb before it hit. This guy right. has the enemy nine miles away, nine miles away, and he's got a subway system to hide in, and he's not looking to hide. In the beginning, he was looking at a generic background. Now he's walking around talking on video 
uh, onto his iPhone. And he's walking around to hospitals and he's inspiring them. He's saying, I'm not going anywhere. And he's trying to tell everyone this is more than just the West. So, John, if that's not enough, he addresses the European Union, gets a standing ovation and walks out on it without any notes. Then he addresses the U.K. Parliament. And without any notes, he addresses them. And he quotes Churchill looking down and saying, that's the fight I'm in. So what he did, in my humble opinion, is he won past lawmakers and policy experts, and he went to the people. And that's why hundreds of thousands showed up in Berlin. That's why they're rallying in France. That's why they care in America. We have looked past our, our leaders to him. I agree with you 100 percent. You know, somebody said facetiously the other day, um, NATO shouldn't be asking Ukraine to join NATO. Um, NATO should join Ukraine because they've shown more spine and heart in this man in the last 20 days than I've seen in Europe or America, frankly, in 20 years. Um, you're right. It's, we're living history. Uh, but again, you know, we, we don't know how this thing ends. You know, if we allow Russia to devour Ukraine and take down Zelensky and stand on the sidelines, like I think to a large degree we're doing, uh, that'll be another moral shame on this nation and, and the West. So uh, I think we have to keep pushing for him and, and uh, with every voice, whether it's a song or a comment or, or, or an article or, or, frankly, people going over there and fighting for him, uh, we have to stand with this guy. I've heard some people say that uh, the White House was telling people Zelensky will be dead in two days, maybe the most two weeks. And now we're in, uh, we're coming on a month, and oh, let's say 25 days. Um, this day was day 20. I don't think he's going anywhere. In fact, talks are going to resume day five. And if Putin, and the, the headline in Drudge right now is last 10 days. If he can last 10 days, Putin will be out of gas. But if he does, is he, if he's able to level this country and take it, he's going to learn from his where his... Uh, Uh, military is hollowed out. He's going to get the money from China and he's going to do the fighting for China and goodbye, Georgia. Goodbye, Moldova. There goes the threat into uh, Bulgaria, Latvia, Lithuania, Lithuania, uh, and uh, Estonia. And then he's going to sit there and say in the Middle East, I'm, you know, I'm tired of sitting back. I think I'm going to go make some overt deals with Iran. Unless you could take this behemoth, this huge army and show them for what they are, uh, a shell of what he says they were. I want you to hear Zelensky. Not only does he talk and inspire, he's also got a method. He speaks in Russian. And yesterday he noticed the protesters and he noticed the, the former anchor that went behind on live um, national yeah. Russian television with the sign that said, they're all lies, Russia lies, don't believe the war. Listen to what he said. To the woman who entered the studio of Channel One with a poster to protest the war, to those who are not afraid to protest. As long as your country has not completely closed itself off from the whole world, turning into a very large North Korea, you must fight. So, again, he's responding to the news. He's telling everyone he's alive. And he also knows that three mayors have been captured and kidnapped and replaced by stooges. So he knows. They're already doing what they said they were going to do. They're going to level this play. They're going to win over this country. And they're going to put their own people in place. They've done it three times. So this is no, what if the bomb gets lucky and hits me? They know where he is. And he keeps talking on the phone to give up his his location. Final thought on this? No, I agree with you. And, you know, to the point of the song, can one man save the world? His courage, his initial stand, that empowers people like that reporter. It inspires me to write a song. I hear it in your voice. 
um, your respect for him and you understand the consequences. But that was him. He did that from day one, despite America saying, here's your plane ticket, despite Europe basically sitting on the sidelines. So uh, I don't, you know, whatever happens now, even if they get him, it's too late because he's already shown us who we are and who we should be. In a thousand years, I'll remember his name. Uh, John, where do we get the song? Uh, it's on YouTube. It's on Rumble. It should be up on the streamers in a couple of days. I mean, I just wrote it and put it out. <laughs> so it'll take a few, a day or two for them to get it up. But please, uh, I appreciate you, Brian. This morning was uh, was critical to, to to show the world that song, and, and I appreciate everybody sharing it. Absolutely, I appreciate you coming on with us and sharing it too. And the money, gonna, a lot of this money is going to go to the refugees. John, thanks so much for making a difference and caring about the country. Let's listen as we go out. In the th- years will they know your name can one man save the world will you take my now the brian kilmeade show joins fox business's varney and company with Stuart varney don't just hang in there on your investments. Call Talon Wealth and get peace of mind with active management of your portfolio. Dial pound 250 and save financial plan. Investment advisory services offered through Talon Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Past performance does not guarantee future results. So uh, we're going to be with David Asman in for Stuart Varney now. A special thanks to... Uh, uh, special thanks to all of you for tuning in. We have a lot to go over today, and we're, we're looking at the magnitude of this fight. So let's listen. Here's David Asman. Let's share audiences. Brian Kilmeade joins me now. Brian, I tell you, it gives me a heart attack timing it right to your time with the, your radio audience there. Uh, you had a great interview with the great John Katsimides, the supermarket emperor of, of New York anyway, and he told us that 20% food inflation is coming down the line. It ain't stopping, right? Yeah, he said we should buy now. Even though inflation, and you know better, I think it's at 7.9%. Yes. Uh, he says right now buy because it's only going to get worse from here. And when John comes to the table, the self-made success story, owns Christides and other supermarkets, a whole bunch of stuff, including condos and hotels, but he also owns refineries. And he's meeting with, uh, with representatives from major oil companies in Canada and Mexico. And he's saying, we could fix this whole problem. We could have our own version of, 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 of NAFTA with, between all three countries. Yeah. And we don't have to worry about Venezuela. We don't have to worry about Iran. Don't have to worry about the Middle East. We don't have to worry about Russia, obviously. We don't want to have to do that. And he's, he wants to put this to private business. And he also That's said flat-out numbers. And we are a million barrels a day short of where we were under Trump. So yeah. please stop saying that nothing has changed. It's the war on fossil fuels that is causing the problem with domestic production. It is that simple. It, it ain't rocket science. And John Katsimides would know, by the way, the president, of course, says it's all Putin's fault, even though the prices were going up long before Russia, Russia's invasion was on the radar screen. Uh, but the president putting it all on Putin. And now he's using these TikTok influencers uh, to try to, to, to push his line. Let me just roll tape and get your reaction to it. Go ahead. Why is gas so expensive and why is the United States inflation rate at a four-time decade high? I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7 and here's what they said. Russia is one of the top three producers of oil and it is actually their number one revenue source. 
Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do international trade. Now, she had the opportunity to talk to Biden. You were just talking to those dumb oil producers who don't know a thing about the oil business, right? So, so David, number one, it's a pretty good move politically. I mean, if, you're, if you say, well, where do I yeah. find 18 to 24-year-olds? And if I'm not, where do I find them rather than try to win them over on, on political speeches that they're not listening to? You're flattered. All of a sudden, the White House reaches out to you. That woman evidently has 10 million viewers, followers, Brian, which is unbelievable. Brian, but, I, I, you're right, and, and that they do have a lot of viewers. But you look at the polls, 70 percent of the American public doesn't believe that Putin is the, the main reason why inflation is up. Yeah, so they're chipping away at it. I mean, number one, they're going to lose their credibility because I, I imagine that when you're on TikTok or if it was Snapchat one day and it was Facebook 10 years ago, if you do that because you're credible, because you have an opinion about things, Kardashians were one of the first to have their own social media empire, and then mm. in came some sponsors. But when you endorse something you don't use or don't know, people are going to see through it. Do you go to TikTok to find out about oil and gas prices? So you're kind of infecting them. So they don't care they're being used, and they uh. were even mocked, uh, mocked on SNL. But the big story is this. I don't think anybody buys it. They're trying to find a spin out of it. And the bottom right. line is, in the big picture, you look at what Europe's doing. Europe is – you have Boris Johnson flying to Saudi Arabia and the UAE now, today, to ask them to pump more. They're as green as we are. They beat us to the green movement. Yeah. The green party has a now. president in Germany. Their spigots are running dry. And, and meanwhile, we are going to Venezuela for, for oil. And by the way, Venezuela, I don't know why, because Venezuela doesn't produce much oil. I think they produce about uh, 700,000 barrels a day. It sounds like a lot, but that just meets their domestic consumption. They give some to Cuba and Nicaragua, but they don't have any left over for us. So I think the only reason we're doing it is to prop up a leftist government. What do you think? I think it's because he says, where do I get more oil? Iran, Saudi Arabia won't return my calls. The UAE won't return my calls. Russia is now off the table. So I got to go to Venezuela. Excuse me. We don't even recognize Maduro as the rightful leader. And we told our That's allies crazy. to do the same. Now we go and meet with them. Our allies are probably flabbergasted. Really? Yeah. I went with this guy, Guaido. You told me to a few years ago. And right. now they don't even have the infrastructure to produce more. The oil experts say they've destroyed it. They've they've nationalized it. Right. They have nobody knows how to work it. Therefore, yeah. they're impoverished. And, and even, he flies down and gives our brings yeah. our reputation. And we got a hard break, but even in the best of times, they were the dirtiest producer in the world. I we heard. don't need dirty oil. Uh, Brian Kilmey, we do need you and your wisdom. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Great to see you. Still ahead. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Yeah, I listen. That politically, it's a good move. You try to find out what young people are hearing, and they all. And for the most part, when you're 18 to 24, unless you have your parents bailing you out or backstopping you, you really feel that when gas prices go up, you really feel when inflation goes up. You really feel it because your rent goes up. You're, you know, if you're paying utilities in the place you're renting, most people do rent when they first get out. And if you're actually going to buy a house, you see the interest rates are going up and you see the prices going up. So it affects you directly. You don't need to read in a newspaper. Then you say to yourself. Why? And what the administration did is said, call TikTok. That's where the majority of people are, this Chinese-owned company that's collecting all your data. But I digress. So you go there. You get the people with the followers. You try to convince them. And they're wowed that the White House knows they exist. So now they can tell their parents they actually made something out of their lives. And they go do that. So they spout exactly what the White House says. And then they're going to talk to their parents. They're going to talk to people that know. Maybe they are RA if they're in a dorm. Or, or maybe their grandparents uh, who uh, might be babysitting them. 
And they say, uh, is that true? And they go, no, of course it's not true. Because the president thinks we have a, need to have a green future. You know who doesn't think so? China and Russia. You know who does? John Kerry. John Kerry, the new climate czar, the first one and hopefully last one we'll ever have, evidently has more influence than anybody else with Joe Biden. He was the first major political figure to endorse him when his candidacy cratered, and he gets this job now. Incredible. Why can't we think of America first? Why can't you just think of what's good for the country first and your party second? That's how to get reelected. On that better yet, that's how to leave. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're also privileged to continue to grow and welcome in new affiliates. I think three already this week. So continue to go on uh, and be a part of this because we're looking to cover the issues and the events that matter most, uh, matter most to you. Inflation hits you personally. Uh, gas prices hit you personally. But we got to go to where it started and what policies are put in place and the people that uh, put them in place and find out uh, if they should, in fact, be exposed or are telling you something that's not true. For example, that Vladimir Putin is responsible for the fact that your cereal costs more. Not the case. We're going to speak to Michael Kordigovsky. He is a professor at uh, Loyola. He's an expert in, uh, in Russian affairs, comparative empires. He talks about Russia in, respect, in perspective and gives us an idea of what their true goal is historically, with Vladimir Putin has already spoken about, and Senator Ron Johnson standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Let's be absolutely clear about why prices are high now. They're high for two reasons. One was COVID. And now, second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. (laughs) All right, thank you for that. Oil and gas prices hikes. The American economy and a Russian plan to back the green movement is America... Uh, is unmasked, in America is unmasked, and Biden's attempt to label inflation and oil hikes as a Putin-induced plot, well, that unravels. Number two. We believe that China, in fact, was aware uh, before the invasion took place that uh, Vladimir Putin was planning something. We have communicated to Beijing that we will not stand by and allow any country uh, to compensate Russia for its losses from the economic sanctions. Would you... Yeah, thank you, Jake Sullivan. Why are we pretending China is not sustaining Russia and this war with Ukraine? Seven hours to talk to China, nothing but insults from that country. It's time to label Iran and China what we know they are, enemies of the world. Sanction them now. Number one. That's what Russians' war against the civilians look like. Destroyed buildings, destroyed infrastructure. I'm ready to fight. That's why I have weapons. That's why it's my hometown and I want to defend the interest of my citizens, interest of my home, interest of my family. Yeah, try kidnapping that mayor, Vitaly Klitschko and his brother Vladimir, holding on. That's what Ukraine is doing as Russia simply tries to level city after city, killing civilian after civilian. The good news is more and more we seem to see that they are rowing, running low on supplies and soldiers. We bring you the news from the front lines and analysis from the sidelines with the true experts. Senator Ron Johnson, what do you expect President Zelensky to say to you guys tomorrow when he does something virtual because he's in war? And that's addressed a joint session of Congress. Well, Mike, similar to uh, the last time he spoke to a couple hundred members, he's going to be asking for help, uh, more help than he's getting from the Biden administration. 
I, I think the world has rallied around the courage of the Ukrainian people, the, the courage and leadership of President Zelensky. So I hope my colleagues uh, respond. It seems like they want to, but the, the roadblock is the Biden administration. Uh, he, President Biden continues to lead from behind if he leads at all. His weakness is what has prompted, has tempted tyrants to act the way Vladimir Putin has acted. So I, I'm, unfortunately, I don't expect uh, much change in the approach of the Biden administration. You talk about Jake Sullivan. I know he said that you know what he's going to threaten China with are serious consequences. I remember the Biden administration. That's all or the Obama administration. That's all they ever uh, threatened was serious yeah, a joke. Uh, Senator, and, our, and unfortunately, our adversaries view this administration as a joke, and that's a real. Senator, why are they pretending like the, the Chinese are not already propping up Russia? Russia's made the request. They denied Russia made the request of armaments and supplies. They deny it. So right there they're lying. And we waited last time. Now, there were two schools of thought. Why sanction Russia before they invade? There's no incentive not to invade. The other school of thought was sanction them now. Obviously, there's 150,000 troops on the border. We know exactly what they're going to do. We're reading their mail. Uh, do it now. So now we learned they've, they went ahead into the country. We sanction them next. So why don't we try a different way? We already know you're propping up that country, buying all their oil, helping their oligarchs, and now you're going to supply armaments. So let's hit them now. Let's talk to big business, how they're intertwined, and let's start winding this relationship down, down right now. Well, I personally think China is playing a very dangerous game. rely on the world economy. Uh, they've been cheating from the moment uh, they ended the World Trade Organization. They've been stealing our intellectual property. It's outrageous that the Biden administration through the Justice Department ended the China initiative, which was all about investigating how China steals our intellectual property through our university system. Why would they stop that? Why would they stop that? I I have no idea. Brian, could it be that? Yeah, yeah, we're going to get him right back. Could it be that maybe it shows some entanglements with people they're involved or close with the Biden administration? So we do an examination of what they're doing in colleges, do an examination of what they're doing at their embassy, do an examination of what they're doing in our laboratories, do an examination about these exchange students. Are they indeed spies? I mean, talking about a guy that was driving for Senator Feinstein for decades is a Chinese spy. She was chairman of the Intelligence Committee. Can you imagine what that guy was able to scoop up by being a loyal driver? But listen to Jake Sullivan after meeting with Russia, excuse me, China, about Russia. Um, and, and this is what he said yesterday. This is a seven-hour meeting they met in Italy. They were telling us, I don't know if this is true or not. I, I take everything with a grain of salt. But they were telling us that this scheduled meeting was, was scheduled uh, months ago in Italy. Cut 23. We believe that China, in fact, was aware uh, before the invasion took place that uh, Vladimir Putin was planning something. They may not have understood the full extent of it because uh, it's, it's very possible that Putin lied to them the same way that he li- lied to Europeans and others. Are you kidding? Is it truly a possibility that, they, that, that President Xi knew ahead of time that they were going to invade Ukraine? You think so? And then maybe uh, President Putin, excuse me, uh, Vladimir Putin lied to the China. So he's worried about China being lied to. Is that what they're actually saying? 
uh, Senator Johnson is back. Senator, I mean, you can be, I know diplomats and national security advisors aren't supposed to tell everything they know, but you could level with us just a little bit, can't you? Well, yes, I think the American people deserve the truth. Um, again, I'm not sure at what point I was cutting out, but the problem we have dealing with these tyrants is the Democrats, uh, the Biden administration, all their policies are weakening America. I've always said that, uh, you know, I agreed with President Ronald Reagan, you achieve peace through strength. But it's not just military strength. It's national strength. It's economic strength. But it starts with a unified country. And even though President Biden laid out uh, in his inauguration that his number one goal is to unify and heal his nation, he's done the exact opposite, and that weakens America. Throw in open borders, throw in you know, record you know, 40-year high inflation rates, rising crime, the embarrassing, dangerous uh, surrender in Afghanistan. All these things signal to our adversaries, now's the time to move. And I tell you, one of the more outrageous things, Brian, you know, crawling back to Iran to enter that disaster oh agreement, they won't even meet with us. So we're literally negotiating, an, you know, getting into a really bad agreement with Iran, and Russia and China are doing the negotiating for us. You think maybe Russia and China perceive that as weakness Senator, and this is a good time to move? It's Senator ridiculous. Johnson, go up to Ben Cardin, go up to Senator Schumer, go up to Senator Menendez, all voted against the last Iranian deal, and tell them to come forward. Tell them to be Americans first and tell them that they're about to cut an even worse deal with an even worse actor. And I think there's going to be something. I'm reading reports. I don't know how this is legal, but they're building something into this agreement that makes it impossible for the next president to undo this and to undo the deal and, and put in sanctions. And I'm saying to myself, wait, how do you put together a treaty, not get it verified, and put together an agreement that can't be breached? Well, they shouldn't be able to do it. Uh, it was my amendment under the last Iranian agreement that would have deemed that a treaty and required Senate ratification, which, of course, they never could have gotten because it was such an awful deal. This is a worse deal. I think I've, I've read that it actually transfers more cash to free hostages, which, Brian, what's that going to do? It's just going to cause taking more hostages. It removes sanctions on terrorists. Uh, this is an awful deal, and it's not going to prevent Iran from becoming a nuclear power. It just won't. Uh, we, we need to get tough, but unfortunately, uh, when you have the Biden administration, to people like Jake Sullivan and, and the other advisors that have been advising President Obama and Biden for decades, uh, and he's wrong on all these issues, as Robert Gates said, uh, all, all, the, all our adversaries are going to see are serious consequences being talked about and not really being leveled against them. Quick thing on COVID-19. You're doing three things of significance. Uh, Senator Johnson, uh, you put a letter to the uh, CDC. Uh, you put them on notice for disturbing and shameful lack of transparency regarding COVID-19 and the gross arrogance in which they displayed by not revealing all the data. Also, you're putting a bill together to help victims of adverse reactions to the vaccines. We all know there's a we all know people that have had that adverse reactions. You've had committee hearings about it, and you've had it taken down by YouTube, which is sinful. And you also call for an end to COVID travel restrictions. And you have some co-sponsors, along with Senator Roger Wicker and 29 other Republican colleagues, in a letter to President Biden. Just lift them all, get back to normal. Do you think you're going? This is going to get anywhere? Do you think we're heading there anyway? I sure hope so. I think more Americans are awakening the fact, the unfortunate fact, that our health, our federal health agencies can't be trusted. 
Yeah, that's that's a real shame. We really do rely on these federal health agencies to have integrity, so we can re- we rely on them, but we haven't been able to. I, I think uh, this administration is just kind of trying to put the pandemic behind us. Uh, their failed response to it, I, you know, Brian, I don't know how anybody can take a look at you know, more than six million people dead uh, globally, uh, six hundred or over nine hundred thousand in America. The human toll, the economic devastation, what we've done to our children. How can anybody take a look at this COVID response? and call it success. It's been a miserable failure, but they just want to move on. Uh, I don't think we can let them move on. We need to hold people accountable because we can't let this happen in the future. Uh, no kidding. Uh, we do, we can't. And meanwhile, China's getting hit by the Omicron variant harder than they did from the original wave. So they can't control it. They were arresting mayors who allowed the vaccine, excuse me, allowed the, uh, the virus to get out of control. They can't arrest enough people. So they're dealing with now the Omicron wave so I don't want anyone to suffer, but I want their economy to suffer. Well, the solution has always been early treatment. You know, that, that's what the biggest blunder of this administration of our federal agencies was they sabotage early cheap treatment with widely available generic drugs that do work. It's a cornucopia of drugs that treat the disease at different stages. We have had a one-size-fits-all strategy, vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. Uh, I was supportive of Operation Warp Speed, but I'm, I'm also supportive of reality. And the reality is the vaccine was not as effective or as safe as we all hoped and prayed it would be. Our federal health agencies just aren't acknowledging that, that they will never admit they're wrong. And, of course, the COVID cartel, which includes the mainstream media, the big tech social media giants, they'll never admit they're wrong. And, Brian, here's a problem. They have the power to make it very difficult to prove them wrong. That's what we're up against. Well, uh, you have an election coming up in the midterms. You decide you you said I'm two terms and I'm out. What made you stay in it? Because you were so consequential, it also made you a target. And um, instead of saying, "Okay, I've had enough," or had success in business, this was truly service. What made you say I got to stay? I love this country. I see it's being torn apart. I see what has happened during the pandemic, the loss of freedom. And I think I'm in a position where I can maybe help improve things. Maybe I can help unify and heal this nation. So I've never walked away from a problem in the end. I, I, I just couldn't walk away from this. So I will need help. Ron Johnson for Senate.com. I've already been out to spend something like $14 million to $2 million. Uh, I'll need a lot of help. So Ron Johnson for Senate.com, uh, I'd appreciate your support. Uh, have you talked to President Trump about it? I know you guys seem to really hit it off. Yeah, I, I went down to, to Mar-a-Lago and had a good conversation with him. Uh, I asked him to have confidence in me. Uh, we are certainly going to get to the bottom of what irregularities occurred in, in Wisconsin, and there were a lot of them. I've got to prevent that from happening in 2022 and 2024. And so uh, we're going to run a complete campaign, rely on the grassroots, uh, try, and, try and get Democrats on board. They also recognize, many of them, our loss of freedoms are a real problem. They are awakening to the urgency of the moment. So uh, this this is a real possibility for a complete realignment in our politics. Uh, to a certain extent, start, started by President Trump in assembling this coalition of people that fervently love this country. And I think that's really what the fault line is. People love this country, know it made it great, versus those that rely on big government and want to fundamentally transform this country. We got problems need fixed. We don't need to fundamentally transform what has worked in created this marvel we call America. Right. So you believe the Senate and House has got to go your direction to stop the bleeding? Yeah, it's, the, the first goal is to stand athwart history and yell stop. 
be a William F. Buckley conservative. And then during that two years where we just stopped the Biden agenda, we need to lay out our our priorities. We need to craft the legislation to fix these problems and run on that as an agenda for 2024. I hear you. Uh, Senator Johnson, last question. Is this bigger? Is this fight in Ukraine bigger than just Ukraine's fight? Do you believe it could be more consequential in the final 30 seconds? Yeah, I think it's obvious it is. Here are some freedom-loving people trying to push back on a tyrant, a war criminal, committing atrocities. If, if the rest of the free world is not willing to stand and help those people defend themselves, God help us. So you know, this is much larger than just Ukraine. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much. Take care. Stay well. You got it. I try. Uh, when we come back, your turn, one 408 Just a little bit about what takes in the midterms. Uh, maybe you're happy with an open border. Maybe you're happy with a weak foreign policy. Uh, I'm not. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Let me try to go to the phones right now and find out what's on your mind. Robert, you're in Georgia. Hey, Robert. How you doing, Brian? Thanks for taking my call. You're shocked we're against, people are against the no-fly zone. Why? Well, I'm shocked because it seems that many of our political representatives don't understand what it takes to do a no-fly zone. They don't understand it effectively what the MiG-29's capability is as well. So you know, what, in regards to our Air Force, I, I spent 24 years in the Air Force. My last job was a, as a senior planner for the Air Force in Northeast Asia. Um, our capabilities of our Air Force, especially the most modern fighters that we have in NATO forces in the U.S. Air Force, gives us the capability to put up a no-fly zone. It would take about two squadrons and a rotating ship force of maybe 48 aircraft at a specific point. Well, well Robert, having said all that, it's about what happens next. That's what they're worried about. And the question is, if you're ready for what happens next, we should do it. And if, they, if they're going to launch, uh, I guess, tactical nukes, if they're going to start with chemical weapons, if they're going to start shelling our assets around the world... Are we ready for that? And that's what I think people are worried about. I think we know how to do the uh, the no-fly zone. We might get to that. Estonia says we are supportive of that. Uh, and President Zelensky right now is addressing the Canadian parliament. Tomorrow we address our parliament or Congress. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Our feelings over the last 20 days. 20 days of a full-scale aggression of Russian Federation after eight years of fightings in Donbass region. Can you only imagine? Imagine that on the on 4 a.m. each of you, you start hearing bomb explosions, severe explosions. Justin, can you imagine hearing 
You, your children, hear all these severe explosions, bombing of airport, bombing of Ottawa airport, tens of other cities of your wonderful country. Can you imagine that? And that is so brilliant. That is President Zelensky uh, talking about what's at stake uh, with uh, Ukraine. And he's trying to say this is more than just him. Now, from a selfish standpoint, he wants to live and he wants his country to survive. And the rush is being relentless. And they're fighting like it's medieval times. They're actually aiming for apartment buildings. They're aiming for hospitals. Uh, they're shooting at schools. Uh, they're trying to assassinate women and children, 65 uh, children at minimum, confirmed dead. I mean, that's the tactics. And he's trying to say to the West right now to the Canadian Parliament, President Zelensky, guys, you got to give me more. Appreciate what you have. Not enough. Tomorrow he'll say the same thing. And, uh, and hopefully he'll be successful and get people, uh, get people to act. Uh, joining us now to discuss this with a more historical context is Professor Michael Kordorfkovsky. Uh, Michael, welcome. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Uh, Professor, first off, are you surprised that this is the way the Russians are fighting, knowing that everybody's uh, watching? No, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. We saw the same tactics used in Syria. Uh, you know, they, they were deliberately target, targeting hospitals and schools, uh, residential districts. The idea was to create a huge flow of refugees. They succeeded. Remember, there were two million of Syrian refugees who moved into Germany, creating a completely different political response in, in, uh, in Germany, in Europe. It promoted sort of the right wing uh, uh, parties who were strongly anti-immigrant and uh, uh, did not like the idea. So this is a typical uh, Putin's approach. He's doing the same thing. You know, there are already, I think, over uh, at least over a million, I think two million refugees out of Ukraine now, mostly in Poland, in um, other neighboring countries. They are traveling through Germany now, going to various places. They are hosted by families instead of staying in the camps. So it's a, it's a very different situation from Syria. But we saw it before. But, you know, we do have to admit that we have a Eurocentric uh, uh, slight bias, most of us. Uh, when these were Syrians, people who look uh, different from us, the cities look different from ours, it's one thing. But when we see in the middle of Europe, for the first time since World War II, since 1945, a full-scale invasion of a country that had not the least provocation against Russia, whose only sin is that he want, it wants to be independent, and it doesn't want to be under Moscow's boot. It wants to be a democracy, unlike Russia. That is really uh, where I think most of the people find it too much and incomprehensible. And I, as I like to say is that... Um, Putin achieved something that no one thought uh, one could achieve, and that is he united Republicans and Democrats in the United States, at least on, on a huge number of issues. In all of NATO. We, we, we re exactly. In NATO, of course, we realize there are more problems and more important issues than fighting local political partisan battles. We're talking about a really existential issues of democracies, uh, fighting sort of what I describe Russia today as fascism. It's a true fascism that uh, we're used to describe in the 20th century. 
And I think it found new home in Putin's Russia. And uh, I argue there's no time to discuss it in detail, but I argue about it in in print why indeed it is uh, fascism in its classical sense. I understand, Professor, and by your professor over at Loyola. First off, is this Vladimir Putin's view or a large swath of the Russian public who believes Ukraine had no business splitting off, picking their own leaders, ousting their uh, the Russian handpicked stooge? Yes. It's a good question. I don't believe when people say naively, well, we're not against the people. We're not against the Russian people in this case, or we're just only against Putin's government and so on. That is very naive, at least, I think. Russian people bear full responsibility for the acts of its government. Uh, Russian people had been brainwashed for many, many years. Fascism means a mobilization of the entire society. Um, sort of imposing a certain ideology, a certain view on the entire society, not allowing any different views, not allowing any opposition, political or otherwise. And that's what has been happening for years, except everyone in the West was asleep at the wheel until Ukraine happened. I mean, we all need to be grateful to Ukrainians who forced Putin's hand in 2014 when he annexed Crimea. Otherwise, we would have been in much greater trouble because NATO countries were slashing their budgets. They were reducing their military personnel. And Putin was quietly, steadily uh, modernizing the military, um, uh, putting a lot of money in it, uh, increasing the budget and so on. So um, uh, today's we, we don't have any good idea what's going on in Russia today because there's a complete information blackout. They closed any paper that had a different view, any website. They shut down all the social media things. We do know there are some protests, but not very big. So my guess that, as always, and particularly in Russia, there is a silent majority that just goes along because it doesn't want to end up in trouble. There are some activists who support the war quite strongly. They use symbol Z to do it, like the Nazis use swastika. That's their symbol. And there is a small minority, as always, probably 10 percent, 15 percent, who are horrified by this and who object to this. But either they already left the country or trying to leave the country. I know some of them. Well, there's tens of thousands yeah. have left. Uh, they say they could get up to 100,000, just want out because they think martial law is coming. Uh, Professor, you yep. were born in Odessa, Ukraine. Uh, no, I was born in Kiev. In, oh, in Kiev? Kiev? In okay. Yes. So how did you go to, have you been to Odessa? I've been to Odessa, yeah. Is it defensible? Do you, I mean, I'm wondering why, and I'm glad, why the hesitation <laughs> was to take that that uh, beautiful, uh, reportedly beautiful area that would have given them control of the port and the, and the beaches and the south. Uh, well, I am not a military expert, so I cannot comment fully on this. I can tell you this much, that Uh, There were rumors that uh, Russian uh, Marines refused to attack Odessa. There are many rumors talking about the fact that many units of Russian military are just completely demoralized. They refuse to follow the orders. Um, So we don't know. We we cannot quite confirm it. Uh, So what what the Russians are trying to do now is to create kind of a, a, a hook by taking a city called Nikolaev, which is to the east of Odessa. Uh, The city has been resisting quite strongly. They still didn't take it. But if they take it, then they can basically encircle Odessa 
and um, launched the campaign probably from the sea and from the ground. So that's the latest I know. But right. again, so, I am not a military expert. But you are a Kiev. Uh, you were born in Kiev. So tell me. I was born. Uh, yeah, they're, they're using the subway system as bomb shelters. They said they might be better equipped to handle uh, this shelling. And I understand the in some places the Russians are nine miles from the center of the city. It's where Mayor Klitschko is and where uh, reportedly pre- the president uh, – uh, Zelensky is. How long do you think they can hold out? Uh, well, I don't know again how long, but the, well, I can tell you this much uh, that Western predictions have been, um, in terms of specific military issues, quite, ro- uh, quite wrong. Uh, they were very good. The uh, U.S. was very good at intelligence predicting exactly what Putin was doing, how he was. Pl- you know, uh, tr- creating the false flag operations when they predicted exactly when he was going to attack. So all of this was great. But I read um, that maybe they were giving Kiev uh, two, three weeks of uh, standing against Russian troops, and that was three weeks ago, and they're still standing. So I read the Ukrainian uh, press, and it's a different perspective. Um, the, the Russian military is losing uh, extremely in a, in a way that even I am surprised. I always knew that Russian military, like much of uh, things in Russia, are Pachonkin village. For those who don't know what it is, it means the uh, a shell, a facade behind which there is not much. There were, Mr. Pachonkin was a prince in 18th century Russia under right. Catherine the Great. And when uh, uh, he, he was given uh, control of Crimea, and so when Catherine the Great came to visit... He created this kind of a board, uh, boards uh, brightly painted with villages, as it looked like they were prosperous villages far in the background. And so when she would travel along the road, she had an impression of a very prosperous region. But these were just cardboards painted. And so Potomkin village means exactly that. There was nothing behind it. So Russian army proved to be this Potomkin village. They're, they're they lost about 60, over 60 planes. There are hundreds of helicopters. The Ukrainians claimed 13,000 Russian soldiers dead. Even if you half that amount and say it's they amazing. exaggerate, that's an extraordinary number. The uh, United States lost in Iraq 4,000 soldiers over eight years. Uh, this, to lose so many people in such a short time, it's a, it's a military disaster. And uh, so that's a completely different sort of perspective or slightly different perspective you get if you read Ukrainian press. In the West, they tend to emphasize Russia's expansion. But they didn't move much. They, as you see, they really didn't move much. And they're the not going to, Professor, they're not going to convince a bunch of Ukrainians who hate Russia more than ever to ever succumb to their rule. They can't do it. Well, that, I mean, these are hand-placed a, mayors are in there. They're being, they're being yelled at by older women now. No one's listening to them. Yeah. That's right. And that is puzzles many people. People ask the question, what is the end game? Let's just say Putin occupies the entire Ukraine. How is he going to rule over 40 million people who at this point have nothing but hatred towards Russia? Remember, in eastern Ukraine, many people were Russian-speaking. They considered themselves kind of Russians living in Ukraine, sort of like Irish, English. Yeah. English-speaking Irish, you know, um, they never had any any hostility towards Russia. Look at them now. They hate Russia. In, in the city of Kharkiv, right on the border was Russia, which Russians thought they would be just welcomed and they will take it within several hours. They still didn't take it. People resist 
with everything they have, Molotov cocktails and everything else. So it, it is, it's a complete disaster. There is no really winning situation for Putin here, except he can do what Saddam Hussein did in Iraq in the old days. When he lost the war, he still declared it a great victory. But, and because there's no information, then, okay, that's a great victory. But, Professor, a couple of things. What he could do is say, look at how, look at the land that he's got. Look at the land in red that's on the rims of the south. Look at him try to take Odessa and stop. So he took Odessa, or he takes the Donbass region. He keeps Crimea. And then he takes the areas in which, uh, on the coast of the Black Sea. And he says, okay, now they're, they're mine, too. And then he tells all the, he doesn't care about the 13,500 troops that are dead, the 95 helicopters, 404 tanks, 1,279 armored vehicles. He doesn't care about that. He says, look, anybody else want to join NATO? You'll get yours. And he'll declare a victory. That's my worry, although at the same time I feel for the Ukrainians who are also dying. Yeah. No, Brian, you, you're well informed and you're, I think, right in general. However, remember, Russia's, Russia's economy is is uh, uh, to say in trouble is under is is uh, understatement. Russian economy is destroyed practically. Uh, Chinese cannot really help them much as 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 Moscow hopes for a number of economic reasons. Uh, once once people have nothing to eat, once they're completely isolated, then maybe there, something will happen. I don't know. Um, in my in my historical perspective, what I see is that fascist regimes like Putin's uh, end up only in two ways. It's either an internal plot against the leader, like 1944 Germany, when the group of officers tried to assassinate him, and unfortunately they did not Failed. succeed, or it's a it's a military defeat, a complete military defeat, uh, and that's. That these are two ways where the fascist regime can come down. Otherwise, it continues to be expansionist. Right. It continues to do what it's uh, primed to do. And so we have to draw the right conclusions from it. And we do. Professor, we've got to make sure they're humiliated after this. And that would stop a, a cancer on the world in its tracks. Uh, and, and even though if uh, Putin will be diminished, his, his uh, military has been exposed his economy will be on its back, and suddenly NATO has a new mission. And maybe Sweden and Norway and Finland as members, and who knows, your European Union might have uh, what's left of Ukraine. Professor, last thing. If you were writing the speech for President Zelensky tomorrow to the joint session of Congress, what would you make sure is in it? One or two things that you would make sure is in it? <laughs> That's a difficult question. I didn't think about it. Uh, uh, well, I would appeal for more help, of course. Uh, the military is coming. We should not underestimate uh, the help coming from the United States. I think the critical thing that America does, it provides intelligence, because Ukrainians are blind, so to speak, in military terms. They do not see what's going on uh, overall in terms of uh, uh, military perspective. The U.S. provides this critical information so the Ukrainians know exactly where the concentration of troops are and so on. So that's, that's very important. But I would actually urge, as Zelensky did, to impose a no-fly zone. Uh, I think just watching for weeks how civilians are being killed, and you mentioned right. uh, very eloquently, you know, these are, these are hospital wards, these are maternity wards, these are residential buildings and so on. Th that is just unacceptable. Whether I hear you, Professor. And I'm so glad you're, you're a, a level head who knows the area. 
and was able to express what exactly is going on in the West, but knowing you're from the East. Uh, Professor Kordofsky of Loyola, thank you so much. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Can you imagine when you call your friends, your friendly nation, and you ask, please close the sky, close the airspace, please stop the bombing. How many more cruise missiles have to fall on our cities until you make this happen? And they, in return, they express their deep concerns about the situation. When we talk to with our partners and they say, please hold on, hold on a little longer. So that is President Zelensky doing a moving message uh, to the Canadian Parliament, get a standing ovation like he did to the UK, get a standing ovation. He's motivating the people. I told you about that. Now, tomorrow he addresses a joint session of Congress. Can I make one suggestion? The no-fly zone, mention it, but have something else to ask for. Don't specifically say, I want such and such from Poland. Don't say, I want the MiG-29s. Mention those. Uh, I need planes and the aircraft missiles. If I can get this within the next two weeks, I'll be able to win this war and slay this giant bear that has been badgering this world since 1948, who has fe- set up the Cold War, lost it, wouldn't admit to it, recalibrated, now wants to reinvent itself. It's a hollow shell of what it, f- it claims to be. I could finish it off. Arm me. As much as you can in the next two weeks, and I'll provide the victory you are unable to provide for me, I'll be able to fight for it. Just give me the weapons. Don't just talk about no-fly zone. That's my two cents. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy, and me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.